Good morning. Good morning. Let's come back together here. We'll start our message this morning. We had a, a, an awesome event go on yesterday. Uh, it was called the Marriageable Conference. Anybody in the house that went to the, that event yesterday? I know that there was a t- We had almost 100 people here yesterday from our three churches. And uh, it, the room was filled with um, uh, good teaching, fellowship, centered around what does it look like for uh, specifically for those who are single, but there were also some mentors and some couples that walk along uh, with people in relationships. But what does it look like for us to be in a place where we are marriageable, where we are loving and relating to one another in such a way that we bring a gift of life and love into relationships with other people. And I thought it's so interesting as we kind of marked that date out on the calendar as our young adult ministry kind of highlighted or spearheaded this event. Um, they asked, could you um, on this relationship series, so I can do that. I didn't even have to, I'm not even have to jump off script for this morning because what we're learning, for, what we've been learning for the last few weeks is right at the center of what it looks like to have a healthy marriage to have a healthy dating relationship, and even if you're not dating or married, how to just have healthy relationships with people. And we've been looking over the last few weeks at what it looks like to be for real, to not um, have a, a shallowness or a, um, anything um, fake or um, stiff or deceptive at the worst case in our relationships, but for our relationships to be um, real. Um, authentic, in a sense, in that when somebody says, are you for real? That we would say, yeah, actually we are. That we really are this kind of people that's marked by the love of God. And that's where we started our series a few weeks ago is saying that we have deep, authentic relationships because of the way that God loves us. And then we moved into what that looks like um, in loving relationships, where we start with that attitude of humility that Christ modeled for us. Um, through his life, through his coming to this world, actually, humbling himself by taking on the nature of a human being, and not only just a human, but a servant, and serving us throughout his life, modeling this life of humility all the way to the cross, and dying for us, and setting us free. Marked by humility, uh, then Elaine talked about creating an environment of trust where honesty, vulnerability, and accountability are part of the soil of our relationships, that we are being real with one another. Uh, one of the phrases that she used was allowing um, others into our mess, that we are in a place where we're not putting on a facade, but we're saying this is really who I am in my strengths, but also in my fears and my weaknesses. Um, are we going to love each other in that place and creating an environment where we can? And then we moved last week into a place where when that environment is set and when we start to get on, honest and vulnerable, sometimes uh, there's places in which we offend one another or where we have hurt one another or where we've been hurt by somebody else. And what does it look like when we go to a place of authenticity in our relationships with one another that we, uh, we keep the door open in relationships through repentance and confession and also forgiveness? We talk repent when we're willing to forgive. Um, as Jesus forgave us, uh, so we also ought to forgive one another. And that was last week, and we move into this week um, in uh, what I would call the glue 
of healthy relationships, uh, the thing that, uh, that keeps uh, that kind of environment going in its faithfulness? What does it look like for us to be faithful, to be committed to one another um, beyond the offense, beyond the weakness, in the, the long suffering, in the, the time and the seasons that move forward? Are we willing to remain true and faithful to one another in our relationships? I want to remind us that all of this, this, this relationship stuff that we're talking about is not a self-help sermon. We're not trying to give you some tools so that you can do it better. What, what we've been emphasizing um, in this series is that the way that we are able to love in all these different ways is because Christ loved us first. I want to remind you of our two theme verses that we've been referring back to each week. 1 John 4, 7-11. Dear friends, let us consider, or I'm sorry, dear friends, let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God. And anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And that he sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Our relational love start in the heart of God and start with his love that he showed us. John 13, 34 and 35 says it this way. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Jesus speaking to his disciples here. He says, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. And then he goes on and says this. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. A byproduct of this supernatural love that we believe is, happens in the church happens in relationships among the body of Christ, is a witness, is a proclamation to the world, wow, that's a different kind of love. And I want to I put that before us today. As we've been talking the last few weeks, I want us to continue to be thinking about this, this question. Do we have that different kind of love? Do we have the kind of love in our relationships that's, that's more than just what we can learn at a conference. It's more than just what uh, we could watch and try to emulate on a TV show, but do we have a kind of love that is born of God, that is some, so deep within us that actually the kind of love that we express is, is oftentimes far more than the world would even think about extending love. It's far less selfish than the world we experience, love that we experience in this world. It's way more long-suffering and forgiving than anybody would even expect that you would forgive of somebody else. This kind of love that we've experienced, I believe, all, many of us in the room have experienced um, in, in relationship with Jesus. Do we have that kind of love? And as we jump into this topic today, I want to just say, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have that kind of love in you. Christopher, saying, you know, in, in, coming out of last week, sometimes it's not all stuffed back in, and sometimes it's a process or it's a work. But is within us the ability to love in such a supernatural way that it shocks even ourselves and especially shocks the world? My confession to you is the potential 
And the reality of that kind of love, as Scripture has demonstrated to us, lives in us. And his name is Jesus. And therefore, even if we are not expressing that all the time, which I want you to know, I don't always express that kind of love. I'm not always that loving. For those of you who are closest to me, do not say amen. I'm I'm a little insecure up here, so just hold it to yourself. I'm not always that kind of lover. But I know that the Savior of the world, the lover of all mankind who lives in me, gives me the potential to love in that way. And I want us to sit with that place of recognition this morning as we look back at what we've already talked about and what we're going to talk about today. And I want to give you a little preview of this morning. You've noticed when you walked in this morning that there's actually a communion table in the back, and there's two communion tables up here. And this morning, we're going to take communion at the end of the service. It's actually going to be our response time. And I want you to be thinking about this. Because communion is is two things, or there's multiple things that happen in communion. But in every time that we take communion, there is an aspect of which we are looking up to heaven or looking within ourselves with our relationship with the Lord, and we are remembering again what Christ has done for us. We're thanking him. We're worshiping him. We're coming in alignment with who God is in our lives. But one aspect of communion that is very much central to that, as along with what I just cross, has brought us together as one body. So that we are no longer individual entities in this room when it comes to how Christ sees us. Yes, he sees us individually. He loves us individually. But when he looks at us, he looks at us as the church, as his bride, as his body. We are one. We work together. the, The scripture talks about we're built together. Our sinews are built together spiritually. We're built. Another illustration is that we're built like a house where we are living stones put together to form Um, an edifice, a spiritual edifice that displays who God is so that we cannot live our lives in isolation, but we live our lives together, living in and out and off of one another in the aspects of how God has created us for his glory. So this, this morning at the end of the service, as we kind of tie up the message, we're going to take communion together. And my encouragement or my question or ask of you is in in some aspect of how God has been speaking to you relationally, is there somebody or some people in this room that you would take communion with as a result of what God's working in your life? So we're going to give space for you to get up as you want to later on, move towards one another, and to take communion together. Christ in us, filling us with his love, giving us an image or an expression of faithfulness. This glue that binds us together in relationship. This topic, I I recognized even when I started um, working on this message this week, that there are two competing things that go go on in me when when I hear the word faithfulness. Uh, there's, there's a tinge of pain and there's unbelievable joy that happened in me at the same time. And I'll let you know why that works its way out in me that way. But faithfulness to me has always been a word that has been complete. I mean, has been very much centered in on marriage. Whenever I think in the beginning of my life or the beginning of my story is a story of unfaithfulness. Um, 
my, and, and, I, and I say this with all honor, I love my father deeply in, in my life right now, and he's a, he's, a, he's a wonderful man. But he was not faithful to my, my mother in my life. And I didn't, know the effects of, I didn't know the effects of that relationship as a kid. I just felt it when I was a kid. I just felt the lack of commitment and the lack of love in the home. Not that my, my dad wasn't loving. Actually, my dad is, is, in some ways, is a very generous and very loving man. Uh, I would say that he's one of the most generous men I know in the, in the sense of his giving of, 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 of material possessions or uh, in, in, in ways. I remember growing up and seeing him serve uh, and love kids as he was a little league coach, et cetera. He's got some very loving and generous as, aspects to him. But he was not faithful to my mom. He was not faithful to my mom relationally, and I believe that the reason that we end up not being faithful relationally in our marriages and our relationships is because something starts to happen internally before externally that happens. And you could feel it in the home. And what it produced in my life, and finally, uh, fast forward to my senior year in high school when I found out that my dad was having an affair, um, what it produces in the home is a place, it, it produces instability, it produces, uh, uh, a, uh, it, it steals hope because you're not quite sure of what the future is really going to be. And, and, the, and the feelings or the emotions, the negative feelings and emotions that are operating within the relationship create an instability that, that, that um, kind of dampens hope or encouragement about the future. In a sense, um, my life as a kid was marked either by living day to, day to day, trying to find something happy or joyful in the moment, or living in my own world, creating other world. I was the kid that was, was the peacemaker. I was the kid that was trying to hold my parents together. And I couldn't hold them together. I couldn't make them be faithful. I couldn't make my dad be faithful. Fast forward to my dating of my, my beautiful wife and falling in love with her and, and also, you know, in the middle of that, finding Jesus and experiencing the love of God in my life and his, his, his love for me. Um, uh, I, I, experienced, I experienced a renewed sense of hope. I experienced a renewed sense of, you know, my life doesn't have to be like my dad's life. It doesn't have to be like my mom and dad's life. I started to look at other relationships in the world that I was around in the church that were faithful. They were filled with joy and were filled with encouragement in life. And I began to have hope in my own life. And I fell in love. I proposed to my wife. We were going to get married. The wedding, uh, the night before the wedding day. I don't know if you, you've, some of you have heard my, my wedding story, but remember at my wedding day, just to give you an idea of kind of the emotions involved at my wedding day, all the guys were crying and all the women were uh, spotless. You know, it's like all, we were all weeping and they were all just perfect, you know, so there's emotional guys. So the night before my wedding, we have the bachelor party, which the bachelor party consisted of us going out to eat somewhere and coming back and worshiping. And as we are worshiping God, the guys in the room decide to pray over me. And when they start to pray over me, you know, they're praying blessings or whatever. And one of them says, and Sean will be faithful. Getting emotional even thinking about it. Sean will be faithful. And as he prayed the word of God over my life, I just started weeping uncontrollably. 
And why was I weeping uncontrollably? I was weeping because I thought, God, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know what it looks like. I know that I've seen it in other people's lives, but I've not experienced it. God, can I be faithful to my wife? I was broken. <laughs> you know, I know, you can do it, Sean. It's going to be okay. We have faith that you can do it. You know, they were building me back up because all of a sudden I came right in, right in touch with my unbelievable brokenness. The lack of any fleshly ability to make this thing happen. And at, the, at that point of weakness, the Spirit of God came through and said, Sean, you know what? You can't be faithful in yourself, but I will be faithful through you. I will be faithful. And I felt this surge of confidence and encouragement. Lord, Though I have not seen it, though it's not in me, though I don't know it as a human, I know it by the Spirit of God, the child that you've made me to be, Lord, that I can be faithful to my wife. And these are some of the ways in which I've, over the years, heard him speak through his word. Jeremiah 31.3, I have loved you with an everlasting love, Sean. Therefore, I draw you with loving kindness. I am a God who is faithful. I'm a faithful God, Deuteronomy 7, 9, keeping my covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Lamentations 3, 23, because of the Lord's great love, I'm not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is God's faithfulness. And one of, one of, one of my most encouraging verses is, is if, if we are faithless, He remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. That even in my own failure, even if I were to fail, even when I do fail in my relationship with the Lord or with others, God is faithful to love me. God is a covenant God. When I do marriages, um, I I always um, share this picture of... of, um, out of Ecclesiastes where, where, where it says that a cord of three strands is not easily broken. And I, and specifically in marriage, I think about in marriage that those three strands are the husband and the wife in God. And when we stand at the altar together and we say, I'm committed to you, I'm, I'm committed to being faithful to you. And, we, and I'll put their hands together and they'll hold their hands together as they're, as they're looking at each other. And I'll say to them, but that is not enough. You holding your hands and saying, till death do us part, I will be faithful to you. Some people grit it out. But what does it look like when they grit it out? But many of us can't grit it out without help. And God says, I believe, a covenant God says, as you hold your hands and commit to one another, I place my hand on top of your hands. And I commit to you to hold you together if you will allow me. There is a, there's a dance, there's a relationship that goes on. And listen, my parents are divorced. So it's for those of you in the room that maybe are divorced or who have experienced relationships where as much as you believed in God and you believed in yourself and committed yourself to one another, it didn't work out. It takes both parties to remain faithful in a faithful relationship for it to last. For a relationship to last, both parties have to be faithful. And I believe a Christian relationship, allowing God to infuse them with the power and hope to not just make it, 
but to supernaturally bless and encourage one another through love and faith. But there are times when it doesn't work. And I just want to say, as we go forward this morning, as you are, as you are sitting there going, I don't have a spouse or the, person, the relationships that I'm in, many of them do not have God at the center of that relationship. And I want to encourage you that as far as it depends on you and God, you can in your own heart in life be committed to faithfulness. It might be that there's boundaries that are set. It might be that there's space that needs to be given. It might be at the end of the day that the person that you are thinking about as I'm talking about does not return faithfulness to you. But unto the Lord, you can walk in the spirit and to develop in in an environment of trust. But I believe Jesus has committed to us faithfulness, that even on the cross, he demonstrated it when he said, it is finished The separation that sin has produced in life, that death has produced in our life, it is finished. I have reconciled man to myself. For those who believe, that that listen to my message and believe in God who sent me, they will have eternal life, John 5, 24. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. The eternal promise of relationship and covenant, God has given to us through Jesus Christ. I I start every message in this series with this thought because I want us to be reminded that we cannot have healthy relationships the way that God has called us to live them if we have not received a healthy relationship and and are not in a healthy relationship with God. Even if I fail in my actions, God will be faithful. And even more than anything I've seen and felt of God's love and faithfulness in my life, I've also experienced it here on earth through my wife. And this is where I want to say that we, we, we can experience this through his word and through prayer, but oftentimes the way that we see God even more clearly is when we see it through the lives of others. And I think that's what God, Jesus was talking about in John 13 where he says, and they will know that you are my disciples because of your love. But probably the most clear illustration of faithfulness that I've experienced is through Laura. She has has known me at my deepest depravity, and she has been offended deeply by me and wounded by me and uh, and times not deposited into in the way that she needs to be able to thrive and to, to, to be the best that she can be. She has not been loved perfectly by her husband. And yet she's always been forgiven. She's always been, we'll jump into those aspects of faithfulness in a minute. She has been a demonstration to me of what faithfulness looks like. And as a result of her being faithful to me, guess what happens? This is what this is what this is what happens when when you receive some aspect of love from somebody else it produces that fruit of love in you. It's like, wow, I want to be faithful. I want to be like Laura. I want to be how she loves me. I want to learn how to love her. So look at 1 Corinthians 13. We start we started this series in this passage of scripture uh believing that this this um Scripture not only teaches us about the aspects of love and relationship, but that also demonstrates to us who God is. But 1 Corinthians 13, verses 7, verse 7, in the beginning of verse 8, says this. This is the end of that, that description of love in, in, in that passage of Scripture. It says, love never gives up, 
It never loses faith. It always hopes. It endures through every circumstance. Love never fails. That's the NLT. In the NIV, it says it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. The New American Standard, it bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. What we see here in these, these versions of, the, of, of, of Scripture, or different ways of saying it, are two things, I believe. Faithfulness, and I believe these, all of these are descriptions of, of a faithful love. Faithfulness is fully believing to the end for that relationship, for that person, And we are committed through our actions to walk with that person to the end. Faithfulness is the glue that keeps us together. So I shared with you a a worst case scenario in my story with my own family. I want to share with you another story of of, uh, another adulterous relationship. Good friends of ours who uh, became good friends of ours, but before we knew them, he was the pastor of a large church in Texas, probably in his 40s or 50s at the time, probably in his 40s. And um, he had an affair with his secretary at his church. Um, it was hidden for a, a period of time, and then uh, it came out. It, it was big press in the, in the city that, it was, that he was ministering in because he was the pastor of the largest Baptist church in the city. So everybody knew. So it was not only known to his wife and his children, but the whole city, the whole convention probably knew. It was big time. And his wife had a choice. Biblically, she could have left him. She could have, she could have taken off the ring, and she could have walked away. But somewhere within the presence of Christ in her life, she found faith in faithfulness for her husband. It started because, the way that she would share it, it started because she was quickly taken back to the story of God's redemption of her own life. And how she was a wild pre-believer and just totally brazen in her reactions and responses to God. And then God miraculously saved her from her brokenness. And somewhere in her personal story, it allowed her in her own pain and rejection and woundedness and hurt that happened in this adulterous affair, it it allowed her to move towards her husband instead of away from him. Somewhere she found in herself the ability to keep her side of the vow even though he had not kept his side. And instead of walking away, she moved towards him. And she forgave him. She deeply forgave him. He lost his job. They had to move out of the city. They went to recovery, but she stood by his side. Fast forward, we enter their life. We never were a part of their life in that part of their, their story. But all we knew about Ben and Ruth was how much they loved one another, how unbelievably joyful they were some five years later. But there was this joy in this. They're like, this doesn't make sense. I mean, even as a believer, you're like, wow, you love him too much. Why would you love him so much? He's a scoundrel. He's a jerk. I knew her kid. I knew their kids. Their kids went through some really hard times during that time, but also some tremendous healing. And now they're doing, they're doing wonderful, or one of them is doing wonderful. What happened? Well, what happened 
is that Ruth found God's love in her heart that transformed what would be a natural response to a really bad situation. And she allowed God's faithfulness to love Ben to the other side. Ben actually ended up coming back into ministry. He ended up being a beautiful minister to to, um, those who are broken and um, poor and homeless um, and a real tender and compassionate couple, loving couple after couple, person after person with the love of God together more in love than they ever were in their life. It's possible, the faithfulness of God, if we expect that he can do such things. But maybe that's, that's the most dramatic, that would be a dramatic story, but we've all tasted and experienced faithfulness. Maybe you, uh, uh, as a kid, you said, you're gonna be my best friend for life, and you, you uh, pricked your fingers, and you made a blood pact. Forever! I wanna remind you, if you, ever, if you have one of those packs, it's still good. Just kidding. Or how about the misty-eyed resolve at the altar that we talked about, that I'm going to love you to the end? Or what about when that first child is born? And you look at that child, and you go, I am, something within you is like, I will be committed to you no matter what. I am, I am your mama bear. I'm going to protect you and cover you. Those kind of commitments, that faithfulness that we understand. And that's the mystery of the church because in our relationships in the church, not just in marriage or not just in our choosing, but when we walk together, we are committed to each other, faithful to one another in that kind of love and commitment. We can do it because his divine power, 2 Peter 1.3, has given us everything we need for life and godliness. So he's loved us and so that we love others. And how do we believe to the end? We believe first in our hearts and our minds. I mean, belief is in our minds, excuse me, and in our hearts. We have something that before it is seen outwardly, we have decided, I'm committed to you. We have decided that I'm going to believe, as 1 Corinthians 13 says, I'm going to believe the best in you. Faith not only in who you are, but who you are not. I'm faithful not only to the good that is in you, but I'm faithful to the weakness in you. I'm faithful to hold you up as well as to run with you. I'm believing that you are who, I, I, have, I have belief that I'm committed in my mind and in my thinking to who you are. I'm rehearsing your strengths, your gifts, your blessings. I'm not rehearsing your faults in your mission. I also have faith. I have hope that every day is a new day and that when it's hard, there's a new day coming. And when it's good, that these days can happen again. I'm believing with hope that our relationship is going to be good and whole. I'm gonna trust you when you repent and you ask for forgiveness that we talked about last week. I'm gonna trust you that you mean it and I'm gonna forgive you. And again, when men and women in the church and relationships have this kind of faithfulness of hope, trust, faith, expectation that you are going to walk according to the ways that you've confessed, 
when we create that kind of hope, even when people let us down, we create avenues of relationship that are strengthened. Uh, there's an environment where relationships can flourish. But the, the, the reciprocal of that, the, 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 the other way we can go is that we write people off. You made a mistake too many times, you're dead to me. You did this, you did that, I'm not going to relate to you. I can't hang out with you because I don't really like you. And we start to create chasms or fissures in our, in our social structure where we can't interact. Some, sometimes we, we know how this works. Sometimes we say, hey, I want to hang out with someone. Oh, I don't hang out with them. What do you mean you don't hang out with them? I don't really like them. Let's hang out with other people. And we create pockets and cliques of relationships based on the fact that we are not forgiving and we are not opening the door up for forgiveness in relationship and we're not faithful even to the very end. But when we create in our own mind and our heart and our actions avenues of faithfulness where we are moving towards one another and we are willing to hold hands with one another, We create the environment or the opportunity for deep and abiding relationships to happen. And so in action, we not only have a belief or a faith in our minds, but then it it funnels out of our lives. Impurity, infidelity. We commit ourselves in a marriage relationship to not even allow our eyes to look lustfully upon another person. We commit with our hearts to not and our, our, our actions to not open up the door or opportunity for other lovers in our life. We create, create uh, channels of not only saying no to things, but then pursuing our relationships, pursuing our spouse, our friends, with love and words and deeds of encur- words of encouragement and deeds and action to strengthen our commitment and trust with one another. And lastly, I'd say this, and then we'll, we'll go into a time of communion. I can say that when, and this is both word and deed, so I described the the story of my life when I was growing up, but I can say that in my own life right now, in my marriage with Laura and with our children in our home, that one of the most secure things that we can give to our children is our faithful love to one another, both in how we speak and how we act towards one another. When we say, uh, I am never going to leave, your mommy, or your daddy. I'm here to stay. When our kids hear that, all of a sudden there is just a a peace, a rest that comes over them. And oftentimes, Laura and I will say those words when we've been when we've been angry with one another or when there's been a, there's been a dis- disagreement or a fight and you can feel the insecurity in the room like, is this going to end really, really badly? And we say, to, we'll, we'll say, and then we'll say, but you know what? And we are committed to each other for the rest of our lives. And that's what God wants for us in a church, in our relationships. That we would, again, not that there's not going to be times when it's, things are irreconcilable in the way that people respond. As is, I would say, as it depends on someone else. But for me, as one who is loving you, my heart's intention is to be faithful to you to the very end. To forgive you when you repent. To humble myself before you when I'm wrong. 
to believe the best about you when you maybe don't even deserve to be believed in, to hope that God can work in you as he's worked in me, and to continue to love no matter the cost. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you that there is a well of faithfulness that comes from heaven that you've deposited in us, that sustains us even when we're weak, and that gives us hope in our relationships. Lord, we ask, God, as we take communion together, that you would do a deepening work, Lord, even over these last two or three weeks as we've talked about different things, that you would you would open doors, that you would join hands together in faithfulness, that you would uh, breathe love and honor and trust and respect into this room in a, in a way that um, is deeper than we've ever experienced before. And as we center our thoughts on on you and what, how you've done that for us, Lord, it gives us hope for one another. Lord, we praise you and we, we say these things and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So what we're gonna do here is we have a little bit of extra time and you can use this time how you want. But I want you to, before anybody stands up, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give us like a one-minute moratorium on moving. Before anybody does anything, I want the worship team to, to begin to lead us out into worship. And I want you to pause and I want you to think about, God, as I think about what you've done on the cross for me, and I think about how you have shed your blood and, and how your body was killed for me, and how your, your life your death on the cross and your resurrection have given me the opportunity to be forgiven, to be rescued, to be given hope. And not only hope, but Lord, when I come, uh, the cracker that represents your body, when I do that, God, how has that impacted my relationships in this room? And I'm going to focus it just to this room right now. There might be other people outside this room that God's put on your heart and You can think about them as you're praying and responding to the Lord. But in this room right now, God, is there anybody that you would put on my heart that you want me to take communion with? It might be extending extending a hand of fellowship and saying, hey, I just want you to know, I'm, I'm looking forward to walking life with you. I'm committed to you as a friend, as a brother, as a sister. It could be as simple as that. But it also could be, going back to last week, it could be, hey, I really want to, I want to reconcile. I want to, I want to make things right. It could be through confession or forgiveness that God wants to do some work. But would you just take a few minutes and just pray, God, who do you, who do you want me to take communion with? Is there anybody in this room that I need to be made right with? Is there anybody that you want me to encourage by saying, I'm with you, I'm walking this out? The last thing I would say as God speaks to you is it might be that you have somebody in mind that you go to and it might be that somebody comes to you. It's okay to take communion twice. Nothing's gonna happen. The second second round's not gonna hurt you. And if you go three or four times, blessings upon blessings. We'll, We'll go back to the kitchen. We'll make some more bread. We'll figure it out work that God wants you to do this morning. So Lord, would you
Would you move among us and would you be worshipped as we fellowship with one?